Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that will lead them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. Millennial Millionaires, welcome back to the show for another episode. Today we have a unique but extremely exciting episode for you guys. This will be our first ever tag team. So we have two guests, two special guests in the room. Uh, actually, their studio, which we'll get into in a second, and uh, just super excited. So over here to my right, we have Mr. John Orlando, Mr. Serial Entrepreneur. He's current host of Action Junkies, uh, featuring people like Dana White, Grant Cardone. Uh, he started his career as a stand-up comedian, uh, launched a PR company, and now focuses mainly on podcasting and co-owner of Sticky Paw Studio, the studio we're currently in. And then we have Mr. Travis Fleshner in the house, co-owner with John of uh, Sticky Paws Studio, an online creator for the last two decades, and a local UNLV grad, which inspires me because I'm a UNLV dropout. So super excited <laughs> to have you guys on the show, man. I'm excited I for love the it. team. A fellow alum from UNLV. Yeah. Did you get alum status for that, uh, for I, dropping I, out? For dropping out, I, you put in enough credits, one, okay. at least one. You're, you're Am I a dropout? I transferred and then dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I, I went to UNLV also. Really? Yeah, before you were born in uh, 88 to 90. There yeah, we go. Yeah. You, you actually went for film, right, at the time? I did, but there was no film program, it so just, it was just a class. It was actually uh, broadcasting, is what I had oh, to okay. technically what it was. Now there's there's yeah, no, now it's a film. Yeah, graduated from UNLV Film. Shout yeah. out to everyone out there. Hey, if you're looking for a place to to go to film, and it's not L.A. or New York, it's Las Vegas, right? Bunch of running rebels in the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And well, actually, soon it's really going to be Las Vegas for film. This oh, will be the film capital when well, it's all said. Mark Wahlberg building Studio City in Las Vegas. Uh, yep. UNLV is going to be the next uh, film program. That yeah, going to want to go to. Now we just need to get our educational system up. We'll be good to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go. We're 50th in. We're going to get 49th. Are you from Vegas? Uh, basically, yeah. I moved here when I was two, but oh. from New York, but I, okay. I grew up here. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Nice. an OG. What uh, what part of town did you grow up in? Uh, Summerlin. Well, Summer right, right on the outside of Summerlin. Summerlin area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough to call it Summerlin, but not yeah. really Summerlin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 close enough. Exactly. Yeah, we're splitting hairs. That's it, man. Yeah. So, well, what was the first time you went to the Strip, like, for recreation? Like, at Las, Las Vegas locals always have different stories, because I, st I grew up in the Northwest area. Didn't leave that zip code until I turned <laughs> 18 to go to college. And Come on. Yeah, no, never went. I went to the local casinos, but what are you going to do as a you know 12-year-old? It's not even just to like see the volcano erupt or something, the water show, nothing? No, literally nothing. Wow. Interesting. I had a fake ID when I was 17. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> right, yeah. I was in a fraternity my one and a half years of UNLV. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the strip was fun. Uh, which I'm actually grateful for because I feel like I got out of my system. You know? Now, was yeah. the fake ID to drink or was it for gambling? Uh, clubs, drinking. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I've gambled till I was actually 21. Okay. I, think I was always scared they would take it away from me and like arrest me or something. Got it. I feel like they take it more seriously than just getting into a club. Because I think if you yeah. win decent amount of money, you legally have to. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you're screwed. Your like social, a, like yeah. it's like a slot machine, like a jackpot. Yeah. You're not getting paid out. Yeah. 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 But blackjack, I was pulling off at 18. Really? No. Yeah. yeah. 
Really? Yeah. Which, when I look at photos of me when I was 18, like, <laughs> what were you guys thinking? Like, I looked, when I was 18, I looked 12. I mean, like, I don't understand how that happened, but yeah. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Vegas has come a long way. So, yeah. John, I know you're a native here yeah. in Las Vegas. Um, well, LA originally, but okay. I feel like a native because, you know, I grew up uh, in the in the kitchens of the Riviera in the Desert Inn <laughs> uh, with my dad, you know, as he was uh, performing and singing in all these places. So, yeah, man. I, uh, yeah. It seems like you're pretty integrated in For you know, the sure. culture and society. Mm-hmm. What do you think has happened to Vegas? Why do you think it's grown so much? And what do you think is on the cusp of this new Vegas Central that we're experiencing? I now? think L.A. moved here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think especially like the entertain. You know, it, when in L.A., uh, when you, if you grew up like in Brentwood, Beverly Hills, Bel Air, like the, the nice section, whatever you want to call it. Uh, as your parents got divorced, your dad or mom would move to what they call the valley, mm. which would be the other side of the hill, the 818 area code. Now I feel like when they get divorced, they come here. <laughs> <laughs> they got married here. Yeah. They left and then came right. back and get divorced. And yeah. They, yeah. One parent stays here. But Vegas is great. I mean, it's always it's a melting pot. I mean, everyone comes here, right? The world comes through Vegas mm. uh, for fun every single week, right? And there's just so much here and so much opportunity. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they, they do such a great job of building these casinos. And it's like, right when you think we couldn't handle another one, like they build another one and yeah. they, and they innovate and they get cooler and like resorts world with that big screen on that the sphere. You guys see the sphere. Oh my God. Nuts. It's intense. Dude, nuts. I'm obsessed it's nuts. with the MSG sphere. I am yeah. obsessed. It looked like a big basketball the other day. It looked yeah. like a pumpkin last night. Like, <laughs> did you see it? It literally looked like a pumpkin. I, I there like there's a spot in my neighborhood where I can kind of like look over and you just see the dome glow yeah. the city. It's like it's like what the Luxor was when it first came out. Like, wow, look yeah. at the light. And yeah. now it's just like straight up like we went to opening day at Del Mar racetrack a couple days ago. And uh, when we were flying home, we came back same night. And um, when we were flying home, the sphere looked like a moon, like the moon. It was amazing. Like it's just so cool. Two point four billion dollars. It'll do yeah. that for How you. How do they make that back? <laughs> Can you? Allegiant's still struggling doing it. So yeah, the inside's not finished though, right? It's still under construction. I think it's still under construction. And then what's a concert going to look like it's in that nice. place? And like, is the inside also covered with LEDs? So I it's assume. like kind of like. Oh my God! It's like the Fremont oh. experience, just yeah. right. A hundred X. Can you right. imagine a UFC fight in there? Oh my God! <sighs> Got to hit up your boy Dana. Yeah, right. Make it happen. Yeah, oh. insane. I haven't even been into the Allegiant Stadium yet. Really? No, I have never been. I, I'm not. I've almost got work there, but no. Have you've never been no to like a, game. then you've never been to a pro football game Mm-mm, or never. a baseball game? Uh, no pro. Wait, no, we went to a Dodger game. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. With the box, it's yeah. really nice yeah. out there. Dodger yeah. dogs are probably the best. The ever. best. Yeah, best hot dog. Terrible for you, but <laughs> I don't eat that stuff anymore. Okay, yeah. Gary? Gary Brecca? Shout Gary out Brecca. to Gary. Shout yeah. out 10X Health Plug. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so obviously you guys both own the studio that yeah. we're in. Uh, this podcast is you know, focused on entrepreneurship and really just allowing people to step into their power and hopefully not just conforming to a normal nine to five and going doing things they're passionate about and, you know, making the best out of this life that we have. Uh, maybe John, if you want to go first, maybe a quick little background about who you are, what you're about and uh, Travis, then we'll hop into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I started off, you know, I grew up in showbiz. My dad's Tony Orlando, who uh, you'd have to ask if those listening probably have to ask. I, I think your parents might be too young, your parents and maybe grandma Ask grandparents uh, or your parents who that is. But uh, he was pretty a popular singer in the 70s, had a TV show uh, for three years, a variety show on CBS in the 70s. So I grew up a showbiz kid, so I, I started off doing stand-up comedy uh, for him. I was awful 
and uh, luckily I had job security. <laughs> so, but even then, I don't know. When I look at old video, I'm like, how did you let me go out there like every night? Like it's so bad. You made the old folks laugh. Yeah, it was so bad though. Yeah. It was like one click below knock knock jokes, you know, <laughs> um, below knock knock jokes, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I did that for ten years. And I used to open for like a lot of people in my dad's category, like Wayne Newton, Tom Jones, Paul Anka, Dion Warwick, etc. Did that for ten years. Got a little burned out living out of a suitcase. It's fun working in Vegas, mm. but how many times can you go to like Minot North? Dakota to tell jokes or Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan or Council Bluffs, Iowa. It gets kind of old. Tough crowd. Uh, and then <laughs> September, yeah, tough crowd. And then September 11th happened and nobody felt like laughing. And uh, I uh, thought I was going to take a couple months off until the world went back to normal. And then uh, I started a PR firm by mistake, uh, by accident, just like one series of events led to another. And before I knew it, I was uh, making as much, if not more, uh, with this PR company than I was doing stand-up, and I stuck with that for about 10 years. Every 10 years, I seem to shift uh, into something else. Um, so we have like maybe seven years left yeah, together. Seven <laughs> before, <laughs> yeah. before we exit, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 This before time we we're going to exit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before it was just shutdowns. Uh, <laughs> this one we're going to exit uh, because luckily I found this guy. Um, you know, I was uh, renting time uh, as you do now here. Uh, thank you. Uh, I was renting time down the street at another studio, and Travis was the engineer over there. And uh, so I'm going to segue into Travis here for you. Uh, so uh, Travis was the engineer over there, and um, he was just great. And you know, I I made the the remark then. I think you were t probably 22 then, right? 21. Oh no, I was like 20 or wow, 19. Wow, that's or crazy. Like that. um, and he was just I don't know, man. You, how old are you? 30. That's a blast week. Oh, so do, do you see it too? I mean, you're probably way more mature at 30 than I was at 30, but like the, the 20, let's call it the, even the, let's call it the 18, 19 to 25 year olds are bigger, better, faster, stronger, 100%. right? Everything. Is that because of that? Is that, is it the iPad? Is it just technology? They grew up with it in their hand. Is that what it is? I don't, what is it? Why are you so advanced? I think <laughs> access to information. Yeah, they I right. Imagine. You know, you're not comparing yourself to, you know, your buddy you're playing recess with. You're comparing yourself to the 17-year-old multi-billionaire yep. in Dubai. And you're, you're right. I think that's, you're right. You're, you're comparing yourself at an early age. Like, I wasn't wired thinking about my future and stuff like that until it was like, I don't want to say too late, but yeah. kind of got a late For start. For most people, too late. Yeah, you know, and, and, uh, and so I noticed that with Travis. Um, early on, and then um, I was having some trouble with that studio, not not Travis-related, but just booking time and stuff like that. I could, they weren't very accommodating, and I had a lot of shows over there that I was paying for, mm. and it was getting really expensive. And and uh, whenever I had a problem like with, with ownership, I would kind of go behind their back to him because I like he always was very accommodating, and he never said no. Like He was like, yeah, I'll, I'll come in late. I'll do this. I'll do that. And then one day, um, I heard the most awful two words uh, about him in that studio, which was I quit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, at Best my thing. yeah, my girlfriend threw me a surprise fiftieth birthday party a few years back, and um, Travis was at the party, and uh, and uh, my buddy came up to me and was like, "Yeah, I was talking to Travis. I asked how work was, and he said he just gave his notice, and he's leaving at the end of the year. My birthday September, so I'm like, end of the year, like December, it's over. He's like, yeah." I was like, that's no good. Like, mm. what am I going to do? So I, I cornered him at the party, and I was like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, I just don't want to do this anymore, right? Yeah. Don't want to do it. Yeah. Wasn't worth it. Wasn't yeah. worth my time. I, I, had, I felt like I was way more valuable. Or at least mm. my skills and my time is better spent doing something else. Um, 
I spent okay. Let's just go segue into me. Sure. Uh, like so, eventually, like, like I was just a self starter. Going back to when, since I don't have like the PR days and the comedy days, I'm only twenty. Geez, twenty five now. Uh, let's just go back to my childhood when I was like seven. Picked up a video camera. You know, my mom uh, had an, uh, like a business she ran for, out of her house, a multi level marketing company for adult products of all things. Uh, didn't really know what the the concept was, but I saw my mom hustle. And my dad worked a nine to five. So mm. she was like taking care of me and my brother, going to school, going to the gym, had like this huge business. She wrote a huge booklet about just like processes. So I saw her put in the time to the point where like, I want to start a clothing company, mom. I was 12. I was in a hot tub. <laughs> She's like, all right, go make a logo. I made a logo in Word, you know, uh, Word art at the time. And I started selling shirts to my friends at 12 years old. But uh, the business didn't do really good because I thought $12 per shirt was too expensive. Uh, realizing now I'm spending $80 a shirt, I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so I shut that down quickly. It was called Schnookies Inc. is my uh, nickname, mm-hmm. Schnooky. So that was like the beginning of multiple iterations. And then I got really into YouTube and all these YouTubers were kind of like my, my big thing. And then uh, I, the one thing I noticed that across the board is that branding was always on point for all of them. They had a logo, an imagery, an intro, outro. They had their business cards. Like that was what made you a business is the brand. So uh, compared to my, you know, my friends at the time, I just had like a propensity to just strive for consistency. Um, and I've uh, gained friends. I lost friends over business deals. Like I made a Minecraft channel one, one time and uh, they wanted to post World of Warcraft videos. And I was like, nope. So I, I had my mom at 12 in middle school revise a contract I made and I handed it to him. And uh, he's like, what is this? Ripped it up and then I just gave him the channel. But like even then I was like, okay, this is the color, brand, color, aesthetic. Um, fast forward to high school, I was like, I need to find my people. I'm tired of just making videos with my friends who just don't care. Like there's just not there. Like nobody shared the same p- type of passion, like waking up at, you know, really early in the morning before school to edit video, go to school, teach my computer teacher how to use her own computer, mm. and then come after school and then make more videos and stuff like that. I went to high school, went to journalism, ended up being the lead editor of the school news, producing an episode a day when they would record it and release it the following morning. It was, it was like the beginning parts of like what I call here at the studio, the workflow. Mm. How important... Um, focusing on the process rather than really the, the product like simultaneously. If you can't, if you can make something really awesome, but it takes you 14 years to do it, then it's a useless product or, you know, result. Yeah. Um, then at the time I was graduating high school, went to UNLV. I was like, all right, the, finally the film program. I want to be a filmmaker. I know what that means. I want to be a director or whatever. Then I realized that even people who go out of their way to go to college still don't know what they want to do. And the film is always the backup plan for everyone. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I don't want to do accounting. Let's just do, you know, let's go to college to get a film degree. And I realized that 80% of the people there are just useless. Mm. Like, and it's, and going to like the mastermind thing is like, I just needed to find people willing to get shit done. Like there's just so many people just like coasting. They're like, this is what my mom said. This is what my parents said. This is what I'm doing just because it is what it is. I'm like. So I met a few people there, but I knew that I needed to intern. I needed to go somewhere in the city. I started looking up on Google Maps, like studios, just typing in studios, film studios. And in Vegas is not a film city. So there was very little like work out there. So I uh, emailed every single place with the word studios at the end to give them my resume, give them my background, YouTube, whatever, and said, I'll work for free. I like that was the subject line. And uh, nobody called me back except for this one place that I met you at. And I worked there for two years, interned. 
But eventually, like, I turned their podcasting platform, I turned their non-existent podcasting thing into the podcasting giant that they were at the time. And I was doing it with, like, duct taping, XLR cables together, weird buzzing in the system. It was trial by fire because everything was my fault. I took accountability for all of my issues, uh, all the issues that were happening, even though, like, the equipment was broken, the lack of budget, whatever. Um, but it really taught me that... Um, like, as long as you try your best, you really can't hold yourself too accountable. Like, if you know you put everything in, you woke up early to do it, you you had as much resources as possible, failing felt better, you know? Mm. So, like, every day I was okay going in knowing something would mess up, but knowing that I would do my best to make it happen, which made every iteration better, every iteration better. Then I realized I hit a glass ceiling at this place. Um and that was like a, like finally, like for the one year they were paying me, but it was like, you know, chump change compared to what I could be making in freelancing, you know, filmmaking. And uh, I was just like, all right, I'm going to put in my four month notice to this company. Cause I knew that I was the backbone of their tech operation, right? I like find a replacement in four months. They didn't believe me. So I went to his birthday and I said, yeah, I'm leaving this place. Um, they treated me, they treated me good, but this just, I'm, I'm holding resentment because I wanted to be a filmmaker, right? But it was really just because I didn't have any ownership. I was building their company, their client base, all off the back of my relationships with the people and my technology. Uh, I went to him. He's like, oh, I want to start my own studio. I'm like, that's a dumb idea. That was a, Don't start your own studio. Like, it, you're just going to rent out an office, decorate it like this, and just run out of it? Where's the scalability of that? We need to start a business. He's like, okay, what are you paying? I'm like, nothing. Sweat, blood, uh, blood sweat, and tears and equity in the company. And let's, let's make it something that it can grow into. I knew that John was doing something called the Podcast Junkies Network, which is a group of shows that will scale infinitely, having a million shows or even 10, 20, 30. And Action renting junkies, fitness junkies, political junkies, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not he's not doing that in, in an apartment or like in a like an office <laughs> boardroom. Like we want we so we got together, we're like, we're gonna build studio A and studio B. We're gonna scale, we're gonna have a team of people. But right now it's just me, him, and a few other business partners, and you know. Like I focused and he gave me all the resources I need needed to make the the workflow work. That's the multiple cameras, the lighting, the training of the engineers. Like the show you're watching right now is actually edited by a person, Amber, back there. Uh, editing out, uh, editing live. So the intro you saw, the lower thirds you saw, the outro is all done during the recording to streamline the process. Because I know, as one of the laziest people in the world, I want to spend the least amount of time on something with the highest amount of output. Applying that logic and like... The nine to five uh, or the the entrepreneur grind, understanding that my goal is to replace me and to replace him to make this company functional so that we can go to uh, business conferences, have meetings and know that at the end of the day, what what kind of is driving the the engine to the network or to the studio is always functioning. Yeah. And after two years, here we are, man. <laughs> It's an inspiring story. So a couple things I took away from that um, to unpack, you know, first off, it's be clear on what you want. You know, you knew film from the get go from a very early age. And regardless of the avenue that you decided to choose, you know, that was your chief aim. You knew that was your focus and you were OK working for free. I know you guys are Gary Vee, uh, yeah. you know, fans. And <laughs> for I think, sure. I think uh -huh. a friend and, you know, one of the things that I learned from him <laughs> as well early on in my career, it's it's OK to be an apprentice. It's OK to work for free. It's OK to maybe get underpaid uh, for a short amount of time in order to gain the the skill set, the network, um, and the experience in order to use it as a catapult to eventually propel your career. So being clear on what you want and being okay to work, um, maybe in a situation that's not being paid, but you're learning what you need to. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, you know, 
preparation plus opportunity equals success. Yeah, you for know, sure. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. You know, you knew exactly what you wanted. You knew your worth, which is big. Yeah. Especially for a lot of young people out there that are conforming to a nine to five or conforming to a job because of the illusion of safety. Yeah. And we all know that that's not the case at all. The only way you're safe financially is betting on yourself, not someone else. But you being willing to get out of your comfort zone and bet on yourself yep. attracted someone like John who had the resources, the network, and the experience, and yep. now you're running a super successful company at a young age with no fiscal equity, but slut equity and making yeah, it happen. 100%. I yeah. think that's a I think that's a masterclass for those listening on how to go from zero to hero and something that you're super passionate about. Yeah, and to, to double down on that, like I'd known you 18 months, two yeah, years? Not long. I mean, so it's not really a long time, and it's not like we hung out socially. Or, I mean, I saw you once a week, <laughs> yeah. right, for the show. Yeah, the first meal was to try to, to, to yeah. get get you on board, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like to, to – we live in a world now where you can reach people on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, you know, uh, in the DMs and stuff, and, like, anything's possible. Like, anything is possible. I mean, he's living proof – and me, by the way. Like, you know, like – you know, I saw what it's crazy to me that those people that own that place down the street didn't see what I see mm. in him. It's mind blowing. I'm glad they didn't um, <laughs> because I, you know, this this has been great. But uh, you know, it's just it's amazing to me how if you just if you have the vision on either side of the coin, um, you, you can bring it to life. Yeah, one of, one of the big questions. So I, I run a, a solar sales company nationwide and you know, in personal development or any Tony Robbins or anything you see online, it's like, you got to find a mentor, mm -hmm. you got to find a mentor. And one of the number one questions people ask me is like, Stephen, how the heck do I get a mentor? You know, I'm yeah. broke, a millionaire is going to charge me $10,000 for his time. Like, how the heck do I find a mentor to help accelerate my learning curve? And I think it's adding value and putting yourself in a situation where you guys have a vested interest in each other. Like for me, growing up, in entrepreneurship, I was broke. I had no college experience. I had no resume in terms of skill set or any money. But I was like, okay, how do I find an opportunity where I can make someone that has the life I want money? Right? For me, it was getting in the direct sales industry. I knew, hey, if I sell a lot, the people above me, my managers, my leadership, my executive CEOs, will now have a vested interest for me because now I'm adding value to their business. So they're going to be willing to trade their mentorship and time. How do you guys think? young people or really anyone can go find or seek mentorship like a situation like you did, Travis, with John, um, and help accelerate that learning curve. So from my point of view, I don't even look at it like I'm his mentor. I actually would argue he's just as much mine as as maybe I am mm -hmm. his. Like to me, it's equal. Like he, uh, you know, it, it takes someone that has to have an open mind, like on, on my end of it, you have to really know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And mine is follow up, follow through process, like everything this guy excels in, um, I don't, yep. you know, and I'm not afraid to admit that. And a lot of the stuff I kind of knew, but I didn't realize how bad I was at it at it until I until I enter Travis Flesher. Um, you know, um, and so it, from from that point, like it's just been it's been an easy thing for me because he does everything here. Like I don't need to be in this place, uh, even though I, I spent a lot of time away from this place in this last month and I caught hell from it uh, from everyone here. You did. <laughs> <laughs> um, which actually kind of felt good because I didn't think anybody cared. But um it was nice to be wanted. Yeah, yeah. But um it, but honestly it doesn't need me. I mean I get what they were saying, but like uh, you know he he he's got it, you know, and they got it. Um, uh, and he's been able to assemble 
like to in my eyes like a dream team like i i have to, i'm a broken record over here but you've you haven't heard this part uh but um you know like the biggest problem we had with the pr firm for 10 years was there was me and my partner and then a bunch of shit like it was it was the top and then the bottom we're here it's this you know what i mean and even this you know um and that's so important like i can't emphasize how important team is if you want to try to go build something you know it's not a business if it does require me to be here 24/7 or him i mean there's been times travis and i are in la for work or in boca raton do you even worry about this place and we're gone? No. I just, I just, I, not for a second. I, not for a second. And when I do, like, I, I, I get a call. I'm like, oh gosh, here it is. And then they're like, everything's doing great. I just right. To make sure you're having a good time in Boca Raton. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we know. Like, George has got it. Chase has got it. Austin's got it. Amber's got it. Like, doesn't even enter my mind. Like, you know, oh god, what's happening back home? Like, I don't even think about it. How do you attract good people? Because I think we all know that I, good people is the key to a successful business, but mm. finding them and attracting them are another another ball game. That well, I mean, let me tell you the story of like Sticky Paws. In 2021, we opened up. I actually had no plans. Like I had no reality of like what is it like to build a team or even have employees or even contractors or vendors or whatever. All I knew is I had a a goal, which is to accommodate whatever he needed for the network, and do it in a certain process so I could spend the least amount of time, so the highest yield. Um, but the one thing I've noticed is like through all of like the internet culture, like like studios like Rooster Teeth or Corridor, um, I'm not sure if any of you know that, but like if you look at their social medias and they're like kind of behind the scenes stuff, you just see the culture is just so welcoming. Like these are people who'd hang out outside of work, who when they're at work, they're not taking it too seriously. They're like, they enjoy, they, they get gratification out of doing the job. Mm. So I know that like, you know, in any job or any like work experience, like things can get very like, you know, the details, the details, you got to arrive on time. But I've, since the beginning, alone, it's, it's you have no culture when you're just alone because then you're just in your own head, kind of feeling like you're spending too much time and too much Taco Bell and too many chips. But uh, I, I just put out there, hey, looking for anyone willing to help. I have a studio called Sticky Paw Studios looking for interns. This is informal, putting on my Instagram story. And uh, two of my friends, one of the friends uh, being one from high school and one from middle school, um, they, they called up, they said, hey, I'm like, Come on down. Like, I have stuff to teach you guys. Like, this is obviously something you guys don't understand. If you find personal value in this company or in this process, whether it's like engineering, producing, whatever, like, stay. If you don't, the minute you feel taken advantage of or you're no longer learning, get the heck out. Like, and I, and I mean that. Like, on the interview, I was like, say that. I'm like, but I always ask, what do you want to do in five years? What do you want to be? And in five years, they always say, oh, I want to be a radio host or I want to do film or I want to be a screenwriter or I want to XYZ. And I'm like, okay. Let's build this place to fit your goal, right? Where it's not tangential. It's not just like you're doing this to fill the time. It's like, where can we meet at the horizon where you are finally accomplishing your goal, but building it through experience through Sticky Paws? And I do that with all the interviews. So George was my first uh, uh, intern here at the studio. He's now uh, a paid uh, contractor at the studio. And then Chase, which is, you know, the guy I was doing uh, the Minecraft uh so he so it just showed you like our inherent differences not not saying anything bad about chase but just like he went on a different track than me he pursued music or did whatever but i just stayed uh headstrong and he called me back and he's like hey i really enjoyed what we did i'm like we're kind of doing the same thing but we have money and experience and a purpose now right and he's like i love it i'm like i gave him a chance because he is a creative person he's like he has a different background he's from music and stuff like that and uh 
and he could learn a thing or two. Or he could teach me a, lear- a thing or two about, you know, the, the equipment we're using. Because we use, like, Behringer X18s, and I have no idea what that meant. And <laughs> I just knew that the equipment was recommended. So I was learning, too. But these guys, you know, based off of the fact that they were here for themselves, they're here for the culture. They, they're showing up for free, so they have to enjoy a little bit of it. And I always made sure that they felt like they're getting value every day. Like, our internship program is not a slave program. It is an education program. Yeah, I'm here. It's like, what, what are we learning today? I taught Chase three-point lighting in, like, to do photography. He went from take, buying a camera, his first camera, to having clients that are four or $500 of a session in six months just because he was given the worth. Right, you didn't have to go through the. Oh, am I worth it? I'm like, no, no. These are the prices. You're, you have the skills. Apply them, and within a year, he's making a part-time income while interning at our studio from the education directly. I wasn't uh, worried about like the the NDA and proprietary nature, and you're going to steal our business. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you can go ahead and take all of our clients, but I know for a fact that Sticky Paws and what I'm building here is valuable enough that the clients that are here stay. Yeah. Right. You can learn how I do it, but why would you want to? defect and go work against me when together we're a better team right and mindset exactly so so the culture is kind of like in the beginning there was no culture but i built this kind of brotherhood of you know you come in we're all working we're all putting blood sweat and tears in they understood that i had i wasn't gaining it financially i was bought into the company so they knew i wasn't just trying to use them just to get profit then Eventually, we were able to hire. We got enough clients. We were able to hire them. They were extremely grateful. They George quit his full-time job at uh, Las Vegas teaching, High School. Teaching, tension, everything. He dropped everything, and that yeah. that blew my mind. Me when too. I, that made me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> we got to deliver. The pressure's on. We got to so, deliver. So this guy worked for us for six or nine months for free, not even promised a job at the end. We were able yeah. to hire him because he, he made himself, he gave himself a position. He's like, I really am going to go deep into analytics and social media. I'm going to find yeah. what you're lacking. And I was like, and I had no ego. I was like, please, like if you can find a niche that I suck at and you're better at or want to dedicate your time. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. And then we just carry that. A lot of self-starters here. Everyone here is an entrepreneur first. Yeah. Because although we're at a company and there is a sort of nine to five here where we come in at eight and leave at 10 PM, um, you know, it's everyone's here for their own purposes. And then when, you know, stuff gets really difficult, like some clients leave or whatever, everyone's still here for the main goal. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, they've, that's the thing that's been impressive to me is like, they've taken the roller coaster. They ride the roller coaster. It's a startup, you know, and it's ugly and business is ugly. And sometimes things are good and we try to reward everyone when things are going good. And then sometimes you lose your biggest client. Uh, literally, I mean, there was one client that was responsible for like maybe 90% of the income at one point yep. and, and he went away. And so like, I had to have like a, you know, tell them like, listen, like when I, when you became, when we gave you a paid position, it was based on this client. And I told you at the time, if this client ever goes away, your job goes away. It is what it is. But I got so attached to everyone. And like, we all, I think saw that we were onto something special, um, I didn't want it to be that way, but at the same time, there's no money. So, I mean, I had to go and say, like, look, like, we have to, you're going to take, like, a 50% pay cut. I don't know for how long, and you don't have to take the cut. Like, if you need to, you know, if you want to leave and then come back when we get our shit together, like, great, if, if you can, or, like, what do you want to do? And I actually thought at least two out of the four were going to leave, yeah. and everybody was like, no. I'm not going anywhere. You ride it out. Yeah, the, yeah. The intern you know? spent more time. The guys who got cut, like their pay got cut understood like, like because again, I always remind them like the moment, even if you're getting paid, the moment you do not see value in here, you're yeah. wasting my time. Like yeah. as an operator, like 
Like give someone else the chance to yeah. to show up and do what they want to do. Yeah. And I'm the same way. Like I'm super transparent with them. Like I tell them things that probably most of like business owners wouldn't say. But A, I want them to learn and I want them to realize like it's easy. Look, like you could hate me really quick. Like I have a really nice car. I live in a really nice house and you could hate my life uh, and start to build resentment if you work here and I'm not transparent with you and you don't know what's going on, you'd be like, God, that guy's a fucking dick because, like, he's fucking doing fine. And, you know, yeah. it's not always what what it looks like, you know? And so, like, I'm super transparent with them and tell them, like, look, this is what we have coming in. This is where we're at. Here's the bills. Like, it is what it is. What a cool learning experience, though, especially for, you know, younger people in their 20s internship to be able to open the books to a legitimate business and be a part of it. And yeah. I think because of, you know, I believe that attitude reflects leadership. Yeah. You know, if the attitude of the workers and the space is abundant and prosperity and everyone is okay to take a pay cut because they understand the long term, it's because of the tone set by the leadership. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the McDonald's culture versus the Chick-fil-A culture. Same product, same service. Same industry, yet when yeah. you walk into the night places, and day experience, night different experience, experiences. 100%. And you know, recently we had a pretty hard test. Like this month has been probably maybe one of the roughest uh, months for us, uh, maybe like emotionally, I guess you would say, or yeah. whatever. Like, I, so I have an investor. My uncle is, gave us the original uh, seed money. I met him. Uh, yeah. You met him. Yeah, he cool looks guy. like a gangster, but he's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of. And, uh, to be honest, like me and him, a lot, we don't see eye to eye on things. And we've been in business together with different, you know, we owned a, a gym together. We owned a tanning salon together. So, like, we've done this dance a bunch of times, and, and we fight. And sometimes we fight in front of the kids, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, they don't, I think they don't realize the history. Like, we can play fuck you tennis, me and my uncle, and at the end, be like, you want to go get a slice of pizza? Like, yeah. it's it's all good like that, you know? But in the heat of battle, it sounds like, oh, my God, there's a divorce coming. And, by the way, that was on the table this month, too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think I think it's hard. A, it's embarrassing to go through <laughs> in front of everyone. But I also think it's good because they see life. Like, they see, you know, every single side of the business. And they see, like, hey, some of the best relationships I have in business and personal started off on the wrong foot yep. to this day. Um, like, like, like to most people, I tell some, some of the stories of some of the people that I'm really tight with, and I tell them, like, here's the first day I met them. And I tell them the story, and they're like, wait, now you guys are friends? I'm like, yeah, like real close. Like sometimes it takes going through some battles, and it just makes you, makes you better, you know, makes you stronger. Absolutely. Um, this place is, is unique in the fact I feel like a lot of, I see a lot of MMA, UFC guys. Obviously, the apex is right there. Was that by design, or why are you guys attracting yep. so many MMA people? Yep, a hundred percent by design. When um, so on Action Junkies, you know, we talk about like you said, like all things like adrenaline. So you know, uh, things I'm into, which is UFC. You know, yep. I'm a poker player. I play blackjack. I bet on sports. So that's kind of the stuff. You know, uh, I have a lot of respect for like people in the military. So I'm fascinated by like Navy SEALs or just anyone that's served and been to battle or whatever. You know, I just uh, cops, all that kind of stuff. Crazy shit. And yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> stuff that I'm don't have yeah, the balls to do. Sure. And um. You know, when I was looking for a place, when I realized, uh, you know, we needed to find a spot, uh, I was like, we need to be as close to pos as possible to the UFC. And literally, you hop this wall in the parking lot, and you're in the parking yeah. lot of the UFC. Yeah. As yeah. close as it can get. Yeah. It was 100% a strategy play. I think, like, you, like, whenever you want somebody on your show or need somebody to be on your show, the easiest way to do it is just make it the most convenient. Yeah. And our, our biggest kind of, like, on Junkies, 
uh, when we first started, we only had fitness junkies, uh, political junkies, uh, and action junkies. Yep. And, uh, you know, we, we're trying to get in uh, with Dana White, trying to get with the fighters. And, you know, they go eat their lunch and then just hop over here. It takes literally one minute and 30 seconds to yeah. get over here. And so now it's not just that. Like, you get the first few in as friends and then they're like, yeah. oh, it's just down the road. Then those those UFC fighters start yeah. their own podcasts. Brandon Moreno does the UFC champ, does his show here. Ode Osborne does his show here. Misha Tate's about to start doing her show yeah. here. I think Brittany Palmer and Ariane, Ariane Celeste are going to start doing their show. Correct, yeah. Here, so, uh, yeah. And got a lot. definitely the, the proximity of the studio is a lot. And just the proximity of us... Uh, to the strip as well. We're only 15 minutes away with no traffic. Um, uh, to the strip, uh, and that's very important because like so many people fly in for John's show or you're just passing through for a convention and having an Uber driver have to drive you know 30 minutes is not good. Yeah. Right? I live three minutes from here. Exactly. This is why yeah. I was sold. Yeah. This is the it's south great. end of town, but yet it feels more central than than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Like where I grew up in the northwest of Vegas, that felt like the boonies. That that's out of the way. Forty five minutes away from the strip. Yeah, yeah. John, you touched on this a little bit about you know obviously you run multiple shows. Travis helps facilitate it. How important when creating content is speaking about things that you actually are interested in, passionate about, or have some type of relationship with? I think it's definitely important because it just makes it easy to talk about the stuff you know. You know, like I do zero homework <laughs> when I have a guest on, maybe to a fault. Yeah. But uh, I like to just wing it. I always say like a good podcast is like lunch without the food or it's mm. like a first date without, you know, it's like just getting to know someone but in front of people, you know, or on camera. Um, and, and yeah, and, and so it just it's second nature to me. I, obviously, my comedy background probably makes it easier for me to talk with with no problem. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, you know, everyone's process is different. I don't think there's anything wrong with preparing. But I think sometimes when you prepare, you get so hung up on the questions you want to ask, you miss out on conversation. Yeah. Because you're so focused on, okay, I asked a question. When he's done, I'm going to ask this next question. And you might present. rather, or, you know, if you're going to prepare questions, great. But be open to, if you, let's say you've got 10 questions prepared, be open to, I only got to three of them. And then you get that guy to come back, you know, next time. And there's stuff I wanted to go over with Dana. But we, we ran out of time, you know, but we'll, next time he comes back, we'll definitely talk about it. Arguably, some of the most uh, most popular and viral moments from your podcast wasn't even on your radar uh, when you started. Correct. Like, you were just like, oh, my God, you look good. As like right, a compliment. With Dana. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a great point. I mean, uh, we had Dana on, you know, and I, I go to every fight. So on in the summer, uh, uh, there's Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Mm -hmm. And then Saturday, there's a lot of fights at the Apex. So there, for a whole summer last year, I would be... Fight at the Apex on Saturday, Contender Series Tuesday, and then another fight back at the Apex every single week for like six weeks. Um, and I watched Dana before my eyes like go from, he was always kind of a, a big jacked guy, to like lean jacked machine. Uh, and my first question, you know, I had no clue what the answer was. You know, I just said, dude, like you look amazing. Like what's, what's going on? Like... I don't look like guy. this. What are you doing? And that's when he said, you know, I, uh, I met this guy, Gary Brecken. He looked at my blood work and he told me I have 10.4 years to live. And that clip got like 9 million views on TikTok, 8 million on Instagram. It was mm -hmm. crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big uh, UFC fan as well. So I obviously followed Dana. I followed yeah. the UFC. The, the whole transformation of the UFC is inspiring itself. Probably one of America's greatest success stories. hundred percent. Turning around a business. Obviously, you know, Dana, you're, you study yeah. the sport. You're a fan of the sport. Yeah. Where, why do you think or what what playbook did the UFC have or what do you think allowed them to evolve into what the UFC is today? I really think it is Dana. I mean, obviously the fight getting, you know, signing great fighters, obviously, you, you know, at the end of the day, if the fight product isn't there, uh, it's not going to be good. But 
their production value. I, I don't know if you've ever spent any time watching any of the others, like Bellator or whatever. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, it's night, night and day. day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's night and day. I mean, the experience, the live experience at a UFC fight is so different than Bellator or PFL. And I'm, again, I'm not shitting on them, but you know, also, you know, the UFC's got some years on them, you know, doing it more, you know, than the other and uh, some organizations. Right. Yeah, and and, and, <laughs> and I think I think Dana's the X factor. You know, I think um, if you watch early early interviews of Dana, like when he still had hair and he was in a suit and tie, and uh, the way he talked was just different. Um, it wasn't until I believe he actually went and talked to like Lorenzo Fertitta and was like, dude, I, I feel like I'm not even me on camera, like in these interviews, like, you know, I, I'm not dropping F-bombs or whatever. And like Lorenzo was like, dude, be you, drop the F-bombs. Yeah. And like, whoever saw a president of a company yeah. dropping F-bombs and going after, you know, people when they ask a stupid question or something. And I really think that's what made it like, I'm just as excited to watch the fight every week as I am the press conference with Dana right yeah. after. Right. Yeah, I mean, what does that tell you? I mean, that's a strong brand. Yeah, the the interviews, fighters, and Dana's interview, I get to your point a lot of value from. Right, it's it's exciting stuff, and you know, you get to peek into their life. And for me, I'm a big success principle guy, so to see MMA fighters, especially the elite with championships and what these guys go through, yeah, I don't think it compares to any other sport out there. And and just to hear, you know, their their mindset and their principles, and Dana in itself, I agree with you. It's uh, it's entertaining. For yeah, sure. and he's the only fight promoter I feel like in the history. If you add boxing too, like. Who else has reinvested into the actual fighters? I know a lot of people, you know, shit on him and say, oh, fighter pay, whatever. But, like, there's a the UFC PI right here. Mm. They don't pay for food. If, you, if, if you're on the roster, you go in there, you can have breakfast, lunch, and dinner for free. It doesn't cost you anything. There's an elite training center, you know, therapy pools and mm. weight room and, and everything you could possibly need as a pro athlete. Uh, and, you know, he spends the money marketing the fighters, you know, um, yeah. no one else has done that. And that's, to me, been the difference of why everyone likes UFC. I mean, that's why it's viewed as there's the UFC and then there's all the others. I mean, everyone wants to come here. You know, Michael Chandler was the face of Bellator. Mm. Arguably, probably was getting, I don't know, but I would imagine he probably might have even gotten more money at Bellator than he did at UFC uh, when he first came over. Um, but he knew, like, this is where you got to be. If you're a fighter, you got to be in the UFC. Just like if you're a football player, you got to play in the NFL. Well, like, there is literally no different difference between, you know, like, you know, on some, like, programs, like, for uh, football, golf, uh, soccer, all these things, like, oh, it's like, oh, it's better on television than it is in person, or it's slow, way too... Yeah. UFC, the production on television, amazing. You yep. go there, and it's even more amazing. Even yep. in, like, a stadium where you can't even see that you're... It's the energy, like... This, the difference between all that is like I don't want to go to a golf tournament, but oh yeah, but the the ESPN yeah. golf is like better. But like that doesn't exist because the sport is just inherent. Um, and I think it also has something to do with like our tribalism, you know, yeah. gladiatorness yeah. inside like of our Dana blood. says it's in our DNA. Yeah. Have you been to a fight at the Apex yet? Uh, not at the Apex. Okay, verbally binding. We're going to a contender series fight in Let's August. Let's do it. Starts August eighth. Uh, maybe the Tuesday after that, whatever. I'll get with you offline. We'll figure it out. It's unbelievable. The Apex. You can hear yeah. them smacking. Yeah. Specifically the Contender Series, because they're fighting their way into the UFC. The level of drives on another level. Oh, my God. And it's so emotional. And, like, at the end of the of the night, of the uh, after the card's over, Dana hands out contracts to the ones that make it. And you see tears of joy. You see tears of sadness for the ones that didn't get signed. I mean, it's just gut-wrenching. Right there, you're watching people just change their lives. Mm. You know, and then the parents, you're sitting next to the It's invite only over there. It's it's unbelievable experience. Yeah. We yeah. got to go. We'll go. I'm down, man. Yeah, the UFC platform is just uh, 
just insane. Like the opportunity for someone to come in and, and literally change their life. Obviously, you have the Conor McGregor's who mm-hmm. are worldwide, but but even like some of these dudes coming from Brazil or from They're Africa, so good. just yeah. the platform that Dana has been able to develop for people to not just make money fighting, but also to leverage their social media presence, yep. create 100%. a personal brand. I mean, some of these super successful uh, brand fighters who maybe don't make hundreds of millions from the UFC, they can go on and, and change their life. So totally, it's inspiring. Yeah, yeah equal opportunity, like, uh, ex- like uh, for financial gain, right? Like you can not speak English, not know anything, but just yeah. like work hard, and UFC can get you there. Not many American companies offer that to a, like a global audience. You know, so true. Hundred percent. Let's talk about podcasting a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, you have multiple successful shows, uh, Travis. You facilitate, and you see podcasters come in all the time. Yeah. What do you guys think separates uh, good podcast from great podcast to you know one percent podcast? You uh, want it? Yeah, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> I knew you wanted it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I literally like just outside of the pitch, uh, just every single time I talk about it, it's it's just evident. Like we've we probably have like easily over a thousand episodes just under our belts from all the shows from all the engineers from every opportunity from you know somebody who can't pay a dime to do it to somebody who has all the money in the world and generally speaking like to be a good podcaster you have to be a good influencer there's no such thing as being a podcaster it is you are an influencer who has a podcast right yeah. you you're the show definitely benefits from the fact that you're 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 very adamant on using social media, promoting your clips, doing all that stuff. Because um, podcasting is almost like saying like, oh, are you a video maker? It's like, n- no, it's like there's no such thing as a genre of video, right, on YouTube. It's either are you doing a vlog, are you doing this, are you doing that? Podcasting here, specifically here at Sticky Paws, is like we specialize in uh, interview-based podcasting. So we don't do like like um, scripted podcasting. We don't really do like teleprompter-heavy podcasting. We focus mostly on getting people uh, on the seat, discussing, you know, uh, being an expert in their field and talking about something, something they know. It's really no different than just having coffee with a friend or having a beer with the guys. Um, so the bad podcasters, what makes a bad podcaster a bad podcaster? They come in, they do little to no research and they know they have no vision. Um, so no matter how much money somebody can give us to make their podcast as streamlined as possible and make the workflow, if they don't show up for themselves and show up for themselves outside of the studio time, Correct. they immediately crash and burn. That's the one right there is the ones that come in and they just do the hour show or however long it is. And then that's it. And they just rely on the clips to get them there. You have to live, eat and breathe it. You got to be on story. You got to be posting a non podcast, uh, you know, um, content as well it's a business. you know you have to, it's yeah. a business and you have to build the brand and you have to you have to uh not be in a rush and you have to know like it's going to take some time and years some people get there quicker than others right and that's just there's tons of reasons why that happens but that doesn't mean you won't get there and you can't compare yourself to oh well this guy i mean i could crawl into a into a fetal position and go well bob menery is is way past where i'm at and i've been doing this seven years it is what it is it's no big deal it you know it's um Good on him. You know, it, it doesn't mean I can't get there or I can't get to that level uh, and not that you should even compare yourself to everyone. You just do you and but take it seriously and, and put the work in, uh, you know, and slide into the DMs and and don't take no from, a you know, no doesn't mean, you know, no answer on a DM doesn't mean no. It just means they didn't answer you yet. And maybe they never will. But it doesn't if listen, the first I've known Dana White nine years. The first five, and I had his phone number from the day I met him. The first five years, I'm not kidding, he never responded to a single text message. Think about, get your head wrapped around that. 
for the first five years, he didn't respond to a single text message. Gave me tickets to fights. Was super nice when I saw him at the fights. I thank him for tickets. And the next day, I'm like, hey, thanks again. Crickets for five years to the point where I had to delete the thread. <laughs> <laughs> I had to delete the thread because I felt like a psycho. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Like, the ex-girlfriend. Yeah, this is, like, unhealthy. <laughs> like, what's going on? I deleted the thread twice um, because I was like, dude, I can't. Like, I, But I didn't want to change my tactic like i still like the thing to do is to send the text and thank him and then yep. one day we had a breakthrough whatever and then better communication and better and better and better and then he did the podcast and you know but most people wouldn't do that for five years most people wouldn't even do that for five months yeah you know they'd be like oh fuck this guy's this guy's busy whatever and but like again it doesn't you know unless you i used to say when i had the pr firm when people would pitch sponsors i used to say or pitch anything we needed you are in the business of getting yes no or go fuck yourself as fast as possible and i don't care what the answer is because as long as it's not gray area we're good yes no go fuck yourself you want one of those three as fast as possible and don't care if it's always no and don't care if it's always go fuck yourself it's okay like we will get to the yeses soon enough um and it's the same like with with outreach right like with dming people like just Keep shooting. Yeah, I forget the. I think it was Thomas Jefferson or some dead president, but they said success is going from opportunity to opportunity uh, without losing enthusiasm. For from sure. From failure to failure, from no to no to no without For losing sure. enthusiasm. Yeah. Failing upwards. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. yeah. uh, continue. Uh, what makes a so that what's that's what makes like a a bad podcaster and a bad podcast, and that's what makes a good podcaster is doing the opposite of what that bad podcaster is doing. But to make to do an all right podcast, which is might seem irrelevant to even think about what an all right podcast would do, but you end up finding yourself in this spot more often than you realize because you go through ebbs and flows. Your podcast is doing better. You're seeing trajectory. Then all of a sudden it kind of levels out because you haven't, you know, something when it levels out or if you never get to the point of being successful, it's partly because you've, you found what makes you comfortable. You found your nine to five version of podcasting and that's wrong because podcasting, although it's very repetitious, you know, every week, every whatever day, whatever live stream at whatever time, whatever clips get made at what like episode 52, which means you've made seven clips of 52 episodes and it's super monotonous. And from a technical standpoint, it's like, you got to mix it up. You got to engage with your audience. The cool thing about uh, the internet and podcasting in general is that there's a direct communication. Like I'm staring at you or I'm in your ear uh, ears as you're driving um and that's a unique experience that like television and stuff doesn't have whenever you're just you expected to release on monday you release on monday you do whatever you have xyz guests that does really cool it's like okay um think about what your guests would want next from the show some people say oh you're a sellout for changing and you know but that's only because the people who are calling you a sellout, the people who are saying they don't like changes because they don't want you to succeed. They want you to placate to just them. Right. How do you expect to expand your audience? There's two There's two levels of thought. It's like, I haven't found the audience hasn't found me or you are, you know, barking up the wrong tree. You know, you're like, you have a, yep. a show about, you know, comedians, but you're advertising to, you know, accountants. Like, that's a problem. Right. So mix it up. Utilize your podcast as a tool to m make better connections and networking. It's impossible to get anyone uh, to to go get a coffee with you and just talk about business. Impossible. They're like, well, not worth my time. They're just going to take from me. But now all of a sudden you have a podcast. Yeah. Mediocre podcast. A podcast that doesn't, doesn't even exist yet. You say, hey, I'd love to have you on my podcast. I I really, I talk about um, accountants and how they really fudge the numbers to make, you know, businesses run. I believe that accountants are like, you know, the biggest driving force of businesses. And I want you on. They're like, oh my God. Yes. I would love to. You get, they come on your podcast for free. They give you a, over an hour of your, their time. 
You get their business card. You build a personal connection with them. And then next week, you're like, hey, you want to go grab coffee and talk about the podcast? And they say yes every time yeah. because they respect you. They respect that that you're giving them a platform to talk about it. It's boring or as interesting or as not as interesting. And as long as you keep doing that, you keep on giving people the ego they want, you know, the 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 attention they need or the the platform that they've been looking for, your your network will continue to grow and build. And then it's a feedback loop. Right. And then yep. if you hit a plateau, that's because you stopped trying to get the crazy guests or you stopped trying to get the, the guests that you know, you know, you're not going to get. Right. It goes back to the just DM them. Right. You'll get a bunch of gray area until you get a yes, no or go fuck yourself. Yeah. You should do that with the guests. You do that with the topics. You should do that with if you don't if you're doing this out of your home, like a podcast, just do that with studios. Like try to get, you know, work out a deal like, hey, if I scratch your back, let's scratch yeah. uh, mine. Like, it's like Gary Vee. I says bring value. And it's so cliche. And it's like it's, it's it seems like a given, but it's true, you know, and, and I wouldn't I think it's important not to be a podcast guest snob. Also, like I've have everyone on like, I don't care what your following is. Like, if I just think I can have a good conversation with you, like, yep. yeah, let's do it. Yep. Um, and, and don't put pressure on yourself to always one up yourself because you, that will game will drive you crazy. Meaning, can you imagine in, in like three episodes, I had Dana White, Grant Cardone, and Gary Brecka. Who the hell am I supposed to go get after that? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, what do you want me to like? I, yeah. I blew my load. Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Like, it is what it is, you know. Um, it, but it, you know, it's easy to get caught up in that. But you, you'll drive yourself nuts because I mean, Rogan doesn't do it. Rogan has how many people does Rogan? I mean, he go, the guy goes every day, pretty much, right? Five days a week, and like, there's people on there you've never heard of. This guy's a scientist. He's this. He's that. You know. And he's the top of the food chain. You know, when he can't deliver, you know, a 10 after a 10 after a 10, no one can. Yeah, I think it's just that consistency piece. And to Mm -hmm. your point, Travis, the networking aspect, that's really the main reason I got into podcasting. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how to monetize this thing. I don't I don't know what I don't I'm not selling an online course. But to your point, being able to leverage the podcast as a network solidifier you know i go to all these networking dinners yeah. and you know i i have a, a business coach who you actually know as well dave Meltzer. Oh, i have a call with him after this is a buddy of you yep but you know i go to his networking dinners and all this stuff and in the past i'm like oh cool nice to meet you bro you're cool awesome awesome yeah let me get your number and then there's no follow-up i have nothing to give them i'm not right. going to recruit them to my solar business i'm not going to sell them solar panels maybe but now I have a networking piece in order to bridge the gap between that initial engagement and now have an hour conversation. Yep. Yeah. And now everyone I have on the podcast, I actually truly feel like I have some type of companionship with. Yep. And then that relationship can foster into something bigger in the future. I call it making deposits into the people bank. It doesn't don't worry <laughs> about taking making withdrawals. Just make deposits into people. Whatever that is. Don't worry about what it is you're gonna get out of it. Just it will come back to you eventually because they know someone that knows someone that knows someone that knows someone. At some point, it pay, it pans out. It pays off. Sometimes it doesn't, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just you, you you have enough of those relationships. All of a sudden, you got a really rocking network. That's it. Law of reciprocation, right? You just yeah. keep putting good energy in there, adding value to people, and something good will happen. Exactly. Well, what's really interesting from an outsider's perspective, because you've been in this whatever you call yourself, an entrepreneur plus whatever, right? Um, yeah. For a very long time. And somebody who's came from the nine to five household, my mom was an entrepreneur, but unfortunately, like it, it just didn't manifest itself like to an exit or some crazy thing. Yep. It just kind of like she did that and then became older and then stopped. Um, but the one thing I've noticed is like, Whenever you develop a network of people who are used to helping each other and bringing everyone up, nobody's hurting anyone. It is so easy to ask for favors because it, it's like it goes from like, oh, my God, I'm going to ask, you know, David Meltzer if I can go to the dinner with him. And it's, I'm really, you know, leverage, uh, over leveraging myself and my worth and blah, blah, blah. But eventually 
and I'm not speaking specifically to David Meltzer, but just anyone, once you build your like network of people who are just used to being like, yeah, come come down, or oh yeah, I'd love to have you down to my restaurant, or and you give bank deposits into the people bank, it's like you surround yourself with so much positivity, help, gratitude that the moment you're in a hard time or need that one thing from that one person, they're like, dude, like I know you do it for me a thousand times over. It's not even a second guess. There's no, there's no, am I being supported? Do I have a network? It's just, these are the people that I surround myself with. And then you can very quickly, once you've built a network of people like that and you've are understanding, you know, people who aren't like that immediately. And those are the vultures or like the, the people who just take and don't give. It's like, it's a vibe check within the first you know 20 minutes of meeting them. It's like, is this person giving good vibes or is this giving is this person giving not taking and if everyone's just giving everyone inherently takes because like there's no there's value to the group and uh that's the one thing that i've kind of learned to do is in the beginning i was like oh I'm, i can never ask for that rate or i like i need to take my girlfriend out to a nice dinner i was able to i was bill krakenberg like shout yeah. out to that guy like he was able to get me a reservation at hell's kitchen yep. which has like a, like a, a wait list for like a year yep. into there and i i was so nervous, and he's like, "Dude, I like you've helped me out so much with X Y Z X Y Z. I'd be happy to." And he called called one person. It's nothing off his back. He's just like called one person, got it. That's it. Like especially yeah. in Vegas, man. Right. Like, Vegas is a who you know town. My my girlfriend sure. works in the industry. She works at Tao Beach, and you know, to go spend money at a day club or nightclub if you're coming from out of town and not knowing anyone to actually have a good time. She's ringing up 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollar tabs yeah. where because I know people in the industry I grew up here, one text, one call, comp bottles, comp experience, comp dinner, everything. Yeah, right. And it's like just that factor of your network is your net worth. It's it's so true, it's cliche. Yeah. And I don't think people go to work hard enough to develop that network and genuinely foster those good relationships. Cuz that's a full-time job too. It is. And it yeah. doesn't it's not instant gratification either. No. no. Yeah. It's, it may not even be gratification for yeah. six, nine, 12 months. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So as we're wrapping up, guys, this has been awesome. Appreciate yeah. how you guys have it on the show. Both of you guys, obviously you being in media, you guys running a media studio. How do you build a community? I'm actually working on that right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's, funny that he says that. It's, uh, it's, it's, very, it's, it's hard because a community has to benefit or get camaraderie out of something, like an event or a thing or a, a common you know, angst, a lot of like communities day, these days are based on people who have gone through some trauma, which is the easiest thing. Trauma bonding is like, you know, we've been to war together. We, you know, we're brothers for life or we've gone through X, Y, Z. Very rarely do people like to, to band together over things they enjoy. Uh, mm. And usually people band together over things they enjoy when people threaten that enjoyment, which is a negative thing. Mm. Um, to build community, you just have to be there for somebody whenever they're needed. You know, the classic kind of another cliche thing. It's like, you know, until I found your content, I was depressed. And then you kind of gave me hope. It's like, that is what everyone should be striving for, for their content, right? So there's going to be that one kid who's who's gone, going through a really bad part of their life. And if, if you can give off a beacon of positivity, uh, a connection, like a personal connection, then you've earned that person for life. And yeah. it's like, people always say like, it's a build a community. It's a numbers game. You need to hit a thousand people, blah, blah, or a million people on TikTok, a million people on this platform. But at the end of the day, you only need 1,000 to make a career out of anything. And I think Tony Orlando taught me this. To make a career out of anything, you just need a, a thousand people who support you. It's so true. Because a thousand people giving you $1 a month is enough to make, well, maybe not these days, but it's enough yeah. to make a living or even if it's $2, okay? All right, so if you want to build a net, uh, community, what are you giving back? Obviously, the content is what's 
keeps everyone, it's the campfire to this community, right? But like, what is the benefits? Like, is it, is there like a vendor giving away free tacos in the background? Is there merch? Is there events to go to? Is there a Facebook group you engage in? Like, again, going back to what makes a good podcaster, it's somebody who engages outside of the content. Yeah. It's giving, it's like, hey dude, notice that, uh, you know, that your birthday's today, love hanging out with you or love seeing you on the stream or saw you in the comments. Like that speaks numbers. To just say like, hey, saw you on the stream, bud, at whoever, yeah. you, you kept them for life. And, and I'd also add to that is be willing to pivot. Meaning, okay, action junkies, it's fighting, it's the stuff I like, gambling, whatever, whatever. But yet the most feedback I get, the most DMs I get is when I post, uh, this is the second, this 10X Health is the second round of trying to get in shape uh, for me. In 2019, I lost like 30 pounds by just eating better, whatever. And posting that content and stepping on the scale and posting the foot pictures and before and after and that kind of stuff. I get so many DMs of vulnerability. People. Yes. And so yeah. like that would be something like I wouldn't have th even thought like I didn't set out to build a community like that. But yet I have people lean on me like I've been again, it goes back to transparency too. like, you know, I'm honest. Like I had a hair transplant uh, of, of a couple years ago and I posted the whole journey, like the photos in the operating room and all that stuff, you know, um, before and after pics. I mean, you know, I really put myself out there. And uh, it inspires people. Again, I wasn't trying to. Like, I just, I don't care. Like, I don't, you can make fun of me, whatever. Like, it is what it is. You know, it's just, this is what it is. As you get older, you lose your fucking hair. Like, it's not the end of the world, right? Um, but I can't believe how many people, like, DM me. Like, bro, thank you so much. And, you know, a lot of them want to put themselves out there like that as well. But then a lot of them also just use me as, like, I'm the guy you can confide in. Like, hey, call this doctor. Call this dentist. Do this. Do that. You know, and, and they don't put themselves out there, but at least they feel connected to me like they can come to me with that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that's really good feedback because we live in a flex culture where everyone only wants to post the wins. Right. Look at my new car. Look at my new watch. Look how much money I made. Look how hot my girlfriend is. Right. But they don't post the process and they definitely don't post the struggles and the L. But that's really what people are looking for, right? Because yeah. anyone can resonate with, you know, starting a business and going bankrupt and failing and, and doing all these things where people are so numb to all the, the flex culture that I right. feel like the, the vulnerability aspect is really what's missing. Right. Right. Don't don't get corporate too quick. Corporate is something that you have the luxury of doing, and it's really to your detriment if you go corporate in any way, because you're really like, okay, I'm we're as a small brand, you should be as personable as possible. Your logo to your to your Instagram page might as well be your face, not your logo, right? Because like people won't resonate with the pizza shop that just opened down if they think it's a chain that has no personality behind it. Right. Go do that with your podcast, everything, right? It Apple only is Apple because Steve Jobs was Steve Jobs at first, right? Like like so many people I see so many people start something new and they devoid it of all personality. They make it look like Apple did create it. I'm like, great, cool. That's a great experiment if you were working for Apple, but you're trying to build a company that people are trying to trust you. And as much as we you know, trust Apple with our data or whatever, but nobody trusts corporations because they know it's all about the P&L at the end of the day. It's not yeah. about the, the connection. When you see Apple's advertisements saying like, we care about your privacy, there's something in the back of your head that says, yeah, sure, so they can sell it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that no one else can have it without their permission, right? But I mean, that sticky pause every day uh, I will walk anyone in this building, show them exactly everything we do, 100% to the T of like the, our process. And I feel like I'm building a community. I'm even reaching out to the local podcast, our competitors here at the, in Vegas, having lunches with them, tell, talking about the process, developing a sort of mastermind of like our work. And I realize 
partly that not many people are dedicated as much as we are, but um, but that you know it's valuable. It's value that goes around knowing that when if we can't take a client, they can have it. When they can't have a client, they come to us, and it's no bad blood. But being too corporate too quick might seem like the sexy thing to do. Might seem like the branding play to do, but it always hurts you in the sh- uh, the the long run. 100%. Well said. Well yeah. said, my friend. Last question for you guys. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. If the person you are today, Mr. Travis, Mr. John, mm-hmm. could go back in time when you first got into entrepreneurship, whether it was you know your camera when you were ten or into your comedian uh, career, what advice would you give your past self? For me, it's simple. I, I touched on it earlier. The importance of building a team around you. I, that's where I absolutely screwed up at the PR firm. I was a little bit of a control freak, uh, and. Um, Rather than just bringing people in that do things that I don't do well, uh, I tried to do those things, and it's such a mistake. Like, just build the right team around you like we have here, and and you're unstoppable with the team, you know? I think uh, my experience is short because, like, I feel like I would – I can just do the cop-out answer and be like, oh, I wouldn't change anything because I love where I am. But I think that I did struggle with um, my ability to let go of people that were – helping me or actually not that they weren't helping me that they were keeping me back or they were trying to make me into something that they wanted me to be right so i only persevered through that through the um through the turmoils of like what comes with it but like i would tell my 10 year old travis you know picking up a camera for the first time it's like there's gonna be so many people that don't give a shit about what you're doing and you just need to like go through that and just like know that because my mom was always like, oh, my God, I love your videos. And I just knew in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, this, is a, this video is crap. I mean, comparing it to like at 10 years old, what are you going to do? Right. But like comparing it to all the people that I was aspiring to be like, this is nothing. Right. My mom's like, oh, it's so good. And I realized like she's kind of been the only person throughout my entire life that's been unequivocally on my side, you know, like impressed with what I did. Because, I mean, I'm sure at her age and at my age, she's like, wow, you're doing this at 12? Like, as I'm older, I'm like, I'm still impressed by my little cousins with iPads. But um, yeah, just like my, I should have dropped so many friends so much quicker instead of wasting my time trying to convert them into my team. Right. Once like I only realized that ultimately when I went to college and I just didn't have time for people anymore. I didn't have I didn't have the energy to give them because I had full schedule, part time job. I was interning. I had a girlfriend that was terrible to me at the time. And I was just like the people that directly like aligned with my vision, like we meshed immediately. Right. The people who didn't were just like immediately like hard to hang out with them. And it just was I had to go through that in order to realize like that was the tool I needed the whole time. And thankfully, I built it even with the people here. Like if I don't want them here, they're not here. The other thing Travis learned where like it's interesting to me, um, it, this could have been something that took him five, ten years to learn. He figured out on the fly, like as it relates to me, meaning I drove him crazy in the beginning because he's so process oriented. I am not. And I'm a lot of times I have everything up here and I can't even articulate it to you. Like I I can't tell you how I do what I do, why I do. And um, I think I drove him nuts in the beginning. And rather than try to change me, he just adapted literally in the, in the moment Mm. and figured out, okay, how do I build this around? This is how he, rather than try to change me and get it to do it his way, which was probably the more efficient, correct way, but I just can't teach an old dog new tricks, you know? So he figured out, okay, how can I make it John Orlando proof? And, and still, right. And and, no, I mean, like, I think that's why we've kind of covered our, we'd made way more mistakes 
over a longer period of time if I didn't make that change. Right. Not just with you, but like any personality that comes through here. If Wiz Khalifa walks in here, I'm not going to be like Wiz Khalifa. You got you got to got to take off your shoes when you walk in. You got to brush your feet. Yeah. Like you got to go, go get, get a doobie real yeah, quick. Yeah. Right. But it's like if, if if he if Wiz Khalifa's workflow is I need to smoke some weed before the studio, I'm going to accommodate that. And right. I'm like, and there's a certain level of respect you have to come in with for me to give you that. But I everyone here has their own process that they need to get into to get into the work mindset or to 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 function properly and every single employee is treated differently here that might seem weird and wrong but that's important because some people have a kid at home right some people don't have anything to do outside of work and all they do is want to work and that's fine too but some people just need those weekends off right sunday is god's day like we are so empathetic here to our hosts our guests and our employees to really make sure that we are a functional society of, you know, content creators under like uh, an agreement that we will accommodate for each other's specific needs. Obviously, if you're like, I need, I only work two days a week, you're just not fit for the team. But we we make it happen. Some people have once in a lifetime experiences to go to Austria for eight weeks, you know, and we we accommodate for that. But we expect that there's proper preparedness to make that happen. When I when we tell John things, um, or like when John is scheduled, like we know to instead of blaming him for his process we take accountability like the first time shame on him second time shame on us right that goes for everything we can make a mistake once and if we don't make it an active choice to change the process to accommodate that thing that's on us we take 100 percent accountability here at the studio if if an episode gets messed up it's like okay was it the host fault probably not was it this fault and then we just go down the the troubleshooting checklist and if we can identify something that could be changed improved or double-checked in the future, we make that change happen forever. The studio is only as efficient as it's like, you know, worst product, I guess. Um, and if we can't deliver on time and consistently, not even with like just relationships, but like then then we don't have a business, we don't have a workflow, we don't have a scalability, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so well I'm said. rambling on. Some bars, y'all. Yeah. yeah. Guys, appreciate you coming on. Thank you, man. The, the trio is a lot of fun. I, I may have to do these more often. Yeah. Uh, where can the viewers find you guys if they're interested in connecting with you personally sure. or want to come check out this beautiful studio you guys created? Uh, I guess I'm going. Okay. Uh, so my <laughs> name's Travis Flesher. Uh, you can follow me at Travis Flesher on all social medias. But most there it of, is. No, right there. Right there. Amber's on um, So if you're watching on Spotify, you should be. Um, anyways. But uh, also Sticky Paws Studios. So Sticky Paws Studios, much like uh, Stephen said, like we want to focus on community and start involving people in our process. So... We, I've been uh, spearheading the community movement here at the studio to involve people like you who want to know how to podcast, what is it like to be a, a content creator, uh, like and and just tips and tricks. So follow at Sticky Paws Studios on Instagram at Sticky Paw Screw on uh, on Twitter, I guess, or X now. Now that it's changed. Yeah, I saw that this morning. Yeah, it's a bit strange, but uh, yeah. So I want to connect with you guys individually. Um, I want to kind of share, be the mentor you need for what you need to need at the time um join our facebook groups join our twitter communities join our everything our discord yeah and we used to we do some live streams as a studio too just to hang out there you have it yeah cool guys millennial millionaires thank you guys so much for tuning in we will see you next week on the new episode peace out